if somebody has an encounter with Jesus, I think the focal point oftentimes then is, okay, I got to root out sin, grow in virtue, grow in holiness, which is very important. That's something like the inward mission. Our task then is to do everything we can with the gifts that God has given us to transform, recreate, heal, reconcile this world, which God loves, so as to bring it back into conformity with the Father's plan and to take back territory that the enemy has captured. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, sponsored by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today I am thrilled to be joined by Father John Ricardo. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Great to be with you. Excellent. Uh, Father Ricardo is a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit and is the founder and director of uh, the Rescue Project and Acts 29, Mobilizing for Mission. Uh, I love that idea, by the way. Uh, Acts, right, has 28 chapters. So Acts 29, we're living in Acts. I always love the fact that Acts doesn't really end well. It doesn't really have a particular clear ending. You just, so, and then all of a sudden, so we're meant to carry it forward. So I love that idea about having Acts uh, 29 and uh, you've host weekly podcasts. Uh, You were born for this. Uh, You have a, a book, Rescued, the unexpected and extraordinary news of the gospel, right? That has really taken off and I think is such a helpful and convincing way of presenting Hmm, thanks right, for uh, the Catholic faith yeah. and uh, has developed in a lot of things that we'll be able to talk about. But maybe just to begin, I think whenever we start talking about kind of evangelization and Catholics and mission, I think everybody, I, I think every, all, the Catholics today, at least in my mind, know that this is the sort of thing that's going to be talked about. Parishes will talk about it from time to time. People will hear about it. And yet, in another way, I think people still find it it's kind of an awkward subject. Evangelization. So evangelization and mission. Yeah. And maybe could you just in you know, what of what about people who might be wanting to help evangelization and mission, uh, but they don't really understand in a way like the 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 faith is a life, the faith is a culture, the faith is the, you know, maybe the air they breathe, the how would somebody kind of in a simple way understand what the gospel is and how one could share it? You know, could you give somebody just a, a quick a yeah. quick answer to that that might help them to kind of crystallize a lot of this understanding that may be in them, but may be, you know, hard, hard to practice? Yeah, and I, I would push back, maybe, maybe it's not even in them. So mm-hmm. let, me, let me start with this. So John yeah. Paul has this great quote in a, a letter that he wrote on catechetics where he says, you know, the, the initial ardent proclamation of the gospel, what, what we technically call the kerygma, right? Yeah. Just the Greek word for proclamation is supposed to be such that a person is gradually overwhelmed and then moved to a place where they make a decision to surrender their entire lives to Jesus in faith. So just pause right now as you're listening to this and ask yourself two questions. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the gospel? And second, have you made a decision, a conscious, concrete, intentional decision to surrender absolutely everything you have, your money, your time, your body, your future, your children, yourself, to Jesus in faith? So imagine me as a priest standing up at the pulpit on Sunday, you know? 
So just two quick questions, everybody. Like, show of hands, how many people here have been yeah. overwhelmed by the gospel? How many hands do you think would go up? I don't think very many. Yeah. And then if I ask how many people have made a decision to surrender everything, I think in most parishes around the country, if you got half a dozen hands, mm -hmm. that'd be a lot. Yeah. So, so I think the answer to that question is, before we can understand how to do this, mm -hmm. we have to ask ourselves, have we really yeah. ever heard it? Yeah, absolutely. That's so beautifully put. And yeah, and I do, it is interesting. I think I can really say, right, yes and yes. And in some ways, right, by the grace of God, it's made all the difference, yeah, amen. you know, in my life. And, and I think maybe it is sometimes that simple. It's beautiful too. You know, we think of John Paul II is always calling for the new evangelization. Maybe we think about World Youth Days. We start thinking about activities. We start thinking about doing stuff, which is okay. But it's really more that fundamental, right, as you put it, that proclamation. Yeah. You know, and, and I love the sense of, I was watching some of your, some of the rescue project that you do, but that theme of being overwhelmed. It, it really is beautiful, but I didn't realize that you, that that was actually from uh, John Paul II, but. Yeah, that's his quote. Yeah, and it's so, it's so beautiful because in a way that's the problem is the, right, the gospel, which means good news, right? I don't know, the, the good news is old news. The good news isn't news. The good news is so, people, it's, uh, Chesterton once said that, you know, because we live in a kind of a somewhat Christianity is old and we think we know it. Yeah. Um, that he says familiarity breeds both kind of contempt and ignorance. We actually yeah. turn out not to know anything about Christianity uh, because we often just have our image that we already know it. Yeah. Um, it's almost like maybe a, a grandmother or a grandfather that you just think you always know, but you realize you don't actually know anything about that person. Yeah. So mm -hmm. think about it from, so you're a professor, right? Yes. So at least when you're younger in, in education, right? You, you always begin the year by doing what? Review. Mm, yes. The church, mm -hmm. at least my experience, never reviews. We never review. Mm -hmm. We always presuppose everybody knows what we're talking about. Benedict, in one point, in something that he wrote, I forget where it is, but he said, uh, Pope Benedict, he said, you know, the church is doing a great job of answering questions that nobody's asking. We actually need to answer the questions people are asking. And, and I might add to that, we also do a great job of using vocabulary that we think everybody understands what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I don't think anybody understands what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, gospel in and of itself, right? Good news. I think most people experience the gospel as not good news. They experience it as news. Mm -hmm. It's ordinary news. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But, I, you know, the challenge as a priest anyway, one of the challenges is um, the lectionary. So the, the lectionary presupposes you know the Bible, Yes. Well, you might, because you're a theology professor, but most people in the pews, they don't know the Bible. That's why Father Mike Schmitz's podcast was so wildly popular. Like, people don't know the Bible. And so, you know, you come to Mass, and you're getting oftentimes what seems like, if you're just sitting in the pews, three, four rather disjointed readings. And if you don't know the story... It just doesn't, you're hoping that the guy up there in the funny costume, like, doesn't talk too long. He's kind of funny. He makes a joke. He gives me something practical to do, and we can move on with real life. And that's not what Scripture is supposed to be reduced to, and it's certainly not what the gospel is all about. Wow, that's, uh, yeah, that is, that's, that's so well put that uh, maybe it's almost like we're uh, the, you know, the mass at times or the lectionary. Uh, it's like seeing snippets of a movie that are, beautiful, 
they're they're powerful scenes, but we don't know the story exactly. Uh, so, and and I noticed by the way in your uh, right your first, I think you have uh, nine um, online episodes that people can watch of the rescue project, right? And I'd like to talk about that a little bit more how you de- uh, decided to do that, but maybe just to begin. Because I think also sometimes people, you know, forget that just as we understand that theology is fundamentally about God, but it's also about God and what He's done for us in creation and salvation. And as part of that, we within the church we have both a theology that's properly spiritual theology, which is how do we understand the way in which we can grow closer to God, but we also have a theology of mission, right? right? Because we're you know, God's always active. He's always creating the world and he's always saving the world. And then he's always, right. I mean, the church really is nothing other than the ones who have been sent, right? right? The son is the one who was sent by the father. The spirit is the one who was sent by the father through the son. The apostles are nothing other than God's messengers who are sent when we are baptized, right? We are sent, Right, so this theme of sending and mission—it's not like just something the church does because you know it's you know it's good marketing or you know it's like you should try to grow your numbers or you know this is just the church is really we have to remember that this theme of mission of being sent is really at the heart of what it of of what God is doing in His plan for salvation. Yeah. So can I can I go after that? Yeah, please. So here, I'd say two things, and then maybe we can bust this open. So the first would be, so what's so, let's talk about what are we sent to do? Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about why is it so essential? Yeah. Let's start with the latter first. So here's why it's so essential, because there's no hope apart from Jesus. Yeah. Period. Zero. None. Zilch. Nada. The human race has absolutely no hope. And all you got to do right now is look around the culture to get the the clear evidence of that. This is a culture which is literally losing the will to live. And, and nobody knows that like our young people do. I mean, the second leading cause of death amongst children in our country, ages 10 to 14, is suicide. That's astounding. The, the, the mental health crisis in our country, pre-COVID and now you know, post-COVID, is off the charts. And again, nobody knows that like young people know that. Like something isn't working. And the way we would answer that is what's not working is the lenses, the worldview that people look through is a worldview which is um, despairing. There's no point. There's no ultimate hope. You know, just live for yourself. and, and, And if things aren't going well at the moment, well, then end it. I mean, why not? Like, I forget which philosopher said, like, the only, the only serious question to really consider is whether or not I should take my life or not. Because if this is it, if there is no God, if there's no point, if there's no purpose, then, you know, unless I've just got, like, oodles of money, then end it. So, so we, we need to look around and go, okay, we're literally losing the will to live. The life expectancy in our country declined three consecutive years 2016, 17, and 18. The last time that happened was 1918. The United States of America, with everything that we have, our life expectancy is going down. The last time that happened was because of a world war and an epidemic that killed 50 million people. We don't have a world war, and we don't have anything like the Spanish flu. 
we're, we're, we're dying, sociologists say, because of deaths of despair, which, which mm. only is a, a long-winded way of saying that's why the mission is so essential. Now, here's yeah. the problem. Mm-hmm. I don't think most people know what the mission is. So mm-hmm. one of the women on our team, her husband's a Marine. So the Marines, like the church, are, are like big on acronyms, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. um, IOT is a huge acronym for the Marines, right? So in order to. So when they're training officers, they pound into their heads. You have to make crystal clear that the people under your charge have clarity about the mission. We're, we're landing in Okinawa in order to what? We're taking that hill in order to what? Here's the problem. I don't think most Catholics have any clarity, let alone alignment, on two missions, the mission of Jesus and the mission of the disciples. So God sends his son in order to what? And, and we would answer that in three ways, which is what the Rescue Project is trying to break open. First, um, to show us the Father's love. Second, to make atonement for me. But third is to go to war. And, and here's why the mission of Jesus is so essential and why there's no hope apart from him, because the human race, as a result of the deception that our first parents fell for in the garden, um, has sold itself into slavery to powers that you and I can never defeat on our own. And the powers are, are, are very easy to prove, sin and death, which in Scripture, most especially in Romans, are best written in capital letters. Mm-hmm. And and death is death's obvious. I mean, like everything, everybody knows the only thing that's going to happen to them for sure is they're going to die. But sin's easier to prove. So just ask yourself as you're listening right now, or as you and I are talking, like I'm going to ask you: Have you ever done anything that you didn't want to do? That you knew as you're doing it, mm-hmm. I don't think I should be doing this right now. And and that you further mm-hmm. thought like I hate doing this. Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And yet you do it anyway. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, like all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you ever wonder why? And, and the reason for why is because you and I are sold into slavery to the power of sin, which Paul especially talks about as if it is a government which is exercising lordship over me. I can't get out of that on my own. So it's really important to repent. It's not enough. Like someone has to rescue me from Mm -hmm. this slavery to sin and the slavery to death and the slavery to hell and the slavery to Satan. That's why God becomes a man. Okay, great. Now what about the disciple? Jesus sends us in order to, like, what? I, I don't think most people in a pew have clarity on that. And we, we try to break open how the Lord's led us to talk about that. And, and I think myself, I've gone through a huge growth. I'm, I'm 26 years ordained. I think the last five, 10 years, I've only really begun to, to go much deeper with this. I mean, I, th- I think um, if somebody has an encounter with Jesus, which is a big if, I think the focal point oftentimes then is, okay, I got to root out sin, grow in virtue, grow in holiness, which mm-hmm. is very important. That, that's something like the inward mission. Mm-hmm. And the inward mission is to like reclaim in my life by the power of the Holy Spirit places where the enemy has planted his flag, if you want to think about it that way. The outward mission, though, what Jesus sends us in order to do is to reclaim territory in the world 
where the enemy has planted his flag. It's, the easier way to say this would be, the goal isn't to get out of here. Like, the Lord's coming back, and when he comes back, he's not going to take me away. When he comes back, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and the human project will be back on track in living in God's image and likeness and exercising dominion and living in, you know, divine fellowship with the, with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and with each other. Our task, then, is to do everything we can with the gifts that God has given us to transform, recreate, heal, reconcile this world, which God loves, mm-hmm. so as to bring it back into conformity with the Father's plan and to take back territory that the enemy has captured. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So reclaim territory that the enemy has captured first in ourselves. Yep. And then... Right in the world, yep, right that's in others, and yeah, and yep. then you have that right, and that in some ways, for you know, uh, Jesus at the end of Matthew, the famous Great Commission, or um, people may not know, but Matthew twenty 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 eight twenty, right? That go therefore um, make disciples of all nations, right? Not now, so teach. they can get out of here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I think is how a lot of Christians live. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, we celebrated not too long ago the feast of Saint jo- the solemnity of Saint Joseph, and there, that reading in Romans four for that for the mass that day, Paul talks about Abraham and the the mission to inherit the world, mm. not to escape the world, yeah. to inherit the world. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to that quote from Archbishop Sample, like we need to engage in the world mm-hmm. so as to rescue people from the clutches of the enemy. Yeah. So as to recreate this good creation, which God loves. Yeah, that's so beautifully put. And, you know, I, I maybe just kind of two themes that I think are kind of maybe distinctive in some of the material I've seen you present as part of the rescue project. Maybe you could say a word about both of them, because I think they really help to try to, and also create a little bit of that sense of the overwhelming character of this news that we're hearing. So first, I think a lot of people, I think, I mean, I don't know, I think there's a tendency to think, well, to talk about hell is going to scare people away or different things like that. Or you try to use hell to manipulate things like if you don't obey my rules, you'll go to hell or these sorts of things. And uh, we actually recently, it was in the fall, we had a uh, discussion of, we had a panel on hell. Hmm. And um, my my take on hell is that if we think hell is something that happens after this life, we are missing the whole point. Hmm. Um, the point of it is that we're actually living in hell right now. We're already beginning in this fallen world to participate in a world that is without hope, alienated from God. And all hell is is just kind of like the 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 intensification of that reality in which we already are. And because we're already in hell, what God does through the gospel is he brings us out of hell, right? He brings us into communion with himself. Um, and so, but I felt like the, so you kind of like, I think you spend uh, out of your nine uh, videos, you spend two on kind of the bad news, uh, the enemy and in a way hell. So how do you find, how do you present hell in such a way that it actually is kind of necessary for us to understand the good news? Yeah, I I, th- I do think it's one of the distinctive things that uh, that we do in the rescue project, in the sense of 
um, going hard after the bad news. And, and I distinguish that from hell. I mean, hell is the ultimate bad news. But mm-hmm. So we, we break the gospel up into, um, into four questions, okay. which then have four words connected to them. Mm. And, and the reason for that is just um, it's a way to get your hands around like the big story, right? So the four questions would be these. Why is there something rather than nothing? Which is a massive question, mm. which science can't answer by the way, right? Second, why is everything so obviously messed up? Third, what if anything has God done about it? And then fourth, if he's done anything about it, how should I respond? Those are the four questions. The four words that go with each question are created, captured, rescued, and response. So to the question, like, why is there anything rather than nothing? Um, The answer is because God, who is love, out of love, and freely and generously willed everything into existence. He wasn't bored. He wasn't like, you know, waiting for the next March madness um, or the, you know, the NFL season to start or whatever. Like God is infinitely happy. He doesn't need anything. And yet he willed everything to exist. Most especially you and me made in his image and likeness made for friendship with him and with each other. Well, that's great father. Um, What the hell happened? Yeah. Yeah. Because if he's so good Mm -hmm. and he loves me, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I talk a lot about my own childhood. It's like, why did I get sexually abused when I was a child? Mm. Why do children die of cancer? Why do people mm. get raped? Why, why, are there, why is there torture? Mm-hmm. Like, why, 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 why? And so I, I think the reason why most people don't experience the gospel as good news and why they don't get overwhelmed by it is because we're Americans, and Americans are um, often naively optimistic and we don't like to talk about bad news. But if I don't understand the bad news, I'm never going to understand life or why I need a savior. And the bad news is, as we mentioned a minute ago, that one of the creatures that God made who was good out of envy, not so much of God, but of me personally and you personally, went to war against the creature that God loves the most, which is us, and tricked our first parents into thinking that the father is not good, that he's holding out on them. And the result of that deception that we call the fall is that we were sold, we sold ourselves into slavery. And that's the answer to why everything's so messed up. If I don't get that, I'll, I'll never. I'll, I'll end up blaming God actually yeah, for everything that's that goes right. wrong, mm-hmm. or I'll blame mm-hmm. other people. So one of one of the key things about mm-hmm. the, you know, seeing through a biblical lens, mm-hmm. you know, like having a, a Christian worldview, which is really important in our country right now, is getting clarity on who the enemy is. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the enemy is the enemy. Period. Like the enemy is Satan. Period. It's mm-hmm. not another race, not another gender. It's not mm-hmm. the rich people. It's not the poor. It's not the immigrants. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the Trump supporters. It's not the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Satan mm-hmm. and all his minions. And uh, to see that is to is to to look at life very differently. You know, that doesn't mean people don't do wicked things. I mean, I I did and still can do wicked things, right? Yeah. But no no human being, no human being can be my enemy as a disciple of Jesus. They're just rebels mm-hmm. to win. Mm-hmm. 
I've got to get that through my head mm-hmm. if I'm going to live as a disciple and if I'm going to engage in the mission. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. I, mean, I think that's mm-hmm. one of the key things about grabbing the yeah. bad news, right? Yeah. So, so the the um, hell is just the uh, hell is the 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 solidification, yeah, yeah. of nice the, the state it. of being captured. There's mm-hmm. no way out. You and I still have a way out so long as we're breathing. Yeah. And the way out mm-hmm. is to respond to what it is that God's done for us in the person of mm-hmm. his son. Uh, it's interesting. I, I I do think that you can see in our culture today um, two phenomena. One is despair, a lot of hopelessness, but at the same time, a lot of anger and resentment. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and, and I love the image that some of the despair and some of the resentment are not wrong. You right. you mentioned some of your horrific suffering as a young person. I know uh, when I was uh, younger, I had a, I think at 10, I had a, a you know, two-year-old niece who died in a car accident. When I was 13, mm. I had a 20-year-old sister who died in mm. a plane accident. And, you know, the death of young people very close to me was part of my upbringing. And I remember at first I just thought, how dumb can Christians be? Right. How dumb can Christians be that they think this world is governed by a good God? This right. world is clearly not governed by a good God. Right. Uh, and somehow, by the grace of God, I, um, you know, I, I spent a long time kind of as an atheist and realized I somewhat probably believed in God a little bit because I was kind of angry at him. Right. Oh, you You're know, an anti-theist. I was an anti-theist, which is a little bit different. Yeah. And but somehow, eventually, I began to just somehow encounter the gospel encounter, you know, it's it just by God's grace, but, but it was beginning to recognize, no, I wasn't wrong to hate, like to hate that. I wasn't wrong to hate death. Yeah. I wasn't wrong to hate sin. I wasn't wrong in a certain sense to hate ultimately, right? The, we sometimes think we're so free, we're so individual, but we're really, we're not. We're often kind of under various powers, hopefully right. for good or for evil. And I think that ability to see what our true enemy is, I, I think it's just a beautiful way of trying to express when we really recognize that's our real enemy. We, and and you're right, we, we stop so short. We end up hating not only other people, we blame things on the world, but we end up hating God. Right. And um, and when we're in that, it's not just that like, oh, we've, we've answered a question wrong on a theology quiz, right? Blaming God. It just turns out then there's no hope because if God is ultimately my enemy, I can't be saved. That's right. Um, and when I can begin to discover that my enemy is kind of penultimate, it's secondary. My enemy is not, there's someone bigger. There's someone bigger than my enemy who loves me. Right. Uh, is such a, it's such a powerful theme. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, let's talk a little bit about, I think you said that next question was, right, what, if anything, uh, does God do about it? Amen. listening to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at AveMaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support, and now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Catholic Theology Show. Today, I'm happy to have Father John Ricardo 
the founder and executive director of Acts 29, Mobilizing for Mission, uh, and to have him here to discuss theology of mission, to discuss really the gospel and how we are called to be overwhelmed by it, uh, to make a decision for it, right, and ultimately to share it with others. Uh, so we've been talking a little bit about you. Uh, Father Ricardo has uh, led us through at least four big questions we need to ask, and we're getting ready to discover, in a certain sense, what God has done about it in Jesus Christ. Uh, but but before we do there, it's funny we have such an intuitive sense that something's wrong. Yeah. Um, but and we often think that's what makes us not, like you know not want to be Christians or something these days, and yet. I, so I, is there, I think we really need to understand that sense of like that deep discovery that something's wrong is exactly what is helps us become ready to discover the good news. Yeah, and you mentioned when you were young, you know, the experiences that you had gone through and, and, and thinking like these Christians are so, I don't remember if you used the word naive or gullible or stupid or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think oftentimes people are m- mistakenly imagine or think that Christians are just that naive about the problem of evil, when in fact, Mm -hmm. nobody pushes the question on the problem of evil like Scripture. Because of that first question, why is there something rather than nothing, and because of the the biblical revelation that, well, the answer to that is because God has willed it all into existence out of love, because the biblical man or woman knows that, nobody wrestles harder with, okay, if that's true, Lord, and I believe it's true, then why is it all messed up? And, and, and the answer isn't, well, it's a mystery. Like, the answer is, no, there's, there's really an explanation for that. There, there really is someone behind the, the mystery of evil, uh, and that someone is an angelic creature who, when we fell for his deception— literally unleashed hell into the universe and there's no way out. So um, the, the point there is just to, to say it's a good thing to wrestle with this question. Like God can handle it. God can handle you and me pounding on his chest. Like what is going on? And I do think, I do think more people are, at least people our age are more anti-theistic than they are atheistic because they're angry. They're angry at God. I think what's going on with a lot of younger people is, uh, without knowing it necessarily, we're so influenced by enlightenment thought that there's kind of like, okay, there's a God, but who cares? Like, it's irrelevant for my life. When in fact, understanding the bad news and coming to grips, especially with the, the slavery that you and I are in, most especially to sin, um, is the way to to help people get that. Because nobody wants to be a slave. Mm-hmm. Like nobody wants to do, I mean, like we're, again, we're Americans, like we're all about freedom, right? Well, if I'm really honest with myself, I don't live freely all the time. Like I do things I hate doing. I say things I don't want to say. I mean, yeah. most of us look in the mirror and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe, like I didn't bite my tongue. I like I didn't not do that and, and we want to continue to encourage people, well, push deeper into that and ask, why is that? And Scripture has an answer for that. And the answer is the enemy. Yes. 
Well, that's a really beautifully, uh, beautifully put. And so as we move then to what God does, you had mentioned that right, God becomes incarnate, sends a son into the world, number one, to show us his love, hmm. show us the Father's love. For God so loved the world that he you know, sent his only son that all should believe in him uh, shall not perish but have eternal life. Also, you talked about the atonement, uh, right, that somehow, you know, we're not right with God. We have to get right with God. We're, we're, we're other, we're alienated from God. We have to get at one with God, atone. Mm. Uh, but one of the things that I really thought was just very, and, and those, by the way, if you want to talk about those more, please feel free to do so. But I loved in your presentation recovering uh, some of the patristic from the early church views and the way that they would describe uh, what Jesus does. Uh, and I think this shows up a lot in Paul, certainly in Colossians and other things, but it's something that we often kind of forget about. And, it, and it's in part, it's this idea that Jesus Christ defeats the devil. I, I know you 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 quoted, uh, I think it's like Wisdom 1811 or something, where basically like the word of God descends from on high as a pitiless warrior. Mm, yeah. um, like, so, you know, like what's, how can we think about Christ on the cross as a, as, as a warrior, as, as a hunter, as a victor? Right. Yeah. So um, the, the way I often do it is say, so I say Jesus and, and you think what? And I think most people would answer something like, well, Jesus is kind and he's loving mm -hmm. and he's gentle and he's merciful and he's patient and he plays with kittens <laughs> and he loves children. And all those things are true, like even the kitten thing, right? Um, but who Jesus is, is absolutely and utterly unconquerable. Mm. Like Jesus is Lord. And that's not the ending of a prayer. That's a reality, right? And, and when Paul says Jesus is Lord, those are fighting words, right? Because Paul lives in the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire has a Lord. His name is Caesar. And he has a gospel. And he has a herald. And there's, there's good news that has been proclaimed of what the emperor has done. So when Paul's saying this, Paul's saying, no, your Lord is no Lord. The real Lord of the whole universe is the God who became man, who went to war to rescue the human race from these powers that we've been talking about. So C.S. Lewis in uh, Mere Christianity he says, um, the story of Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed in disguise. That, that's what this is all about. Yes, that's right. right so, yeah. if, mm -hmm. so there's the disguise is human flesh, right? And I think one of the things that tricks people or trips people up is I don't think people understand the conflict that's going on between Jesus and the enemy. In other words, I think people mistakenly um, think or believe that the devil knows who Jesus is, and that's not true. Otherwise, as we'll talk about, um, he would never have brought about his own destruction. Mm -hmm. So he's probing him. He's like the enemy clearly knows that there's been some prophecy about someone who's going to come and 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 do something about what he's unleashed into the universe, but. God doesn't show him what that is. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't enter into a demonic mind, either the virtues of humility or love. Like, it's unthinkable for hell 
that God, the absolutely yeah. other, the creator of everything that is, would stoop to become a creature to rescue creatures from him. Like that doesn't enter his mind. It's like, mm -hmm. like Sara never, never yes. imagines the ring <laughs> is going to get destroyed, right? Like yes. no one would destroy the ring. Everybody wants mm -hmm. power. So God hides himself in human flesh and embarks on this great mission to, to rescue us, right? Yeah. And so I was, I, in fact, I was in your bookstore um, just before this, and I, I came across, I was thrilled to see it in there. There's a book called um, The Crucifixion, Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ by a woman named Fleming Rutledge, who's an Anglican, retired Anglican pastor. And I read this book, I think Bishop Barron was the one who uh, first wrote about it, and I ordered it, and it came. It was like 800 pages, and like, great, this will be good Lenten reading. Mm -hmm. And I devoured it. And I, I, I and, and obviously you and I would have issues with some things because she's Anglican and we're Catholic, but yeah. she is spot on. And man, can she preach? And does she recover a patristic understanding of what Jesus is doing? And that's what first got me really going deeper into some of this thought. And I remember sitting in a chapel one day. It was right before celebrating Mass with our kids in the parish school where I was assigned. And it was shortly before Holy Week. And as I'm sitting there praying, thinking about the passion and whatnot, I hear two words come into my mind, which I have never heard in my life. And the words are ambush predator. And I'm sitting there going like, what in the world is an, like who is this? What's an this. ambush yes. predator or whatever? Yes. So I, I mm -hmm. Google ambush predator and I start to laugh out loud in the chapel. So an ambush predator is a creature which is defined as um, you know, something which lies motionless and still, camouflaged with its environment for one reason, to attract prey. So like a spider is an ambush predator, a snake yeah. is an ambush predator. You're, you know, like there's crocodile or alligators yeah, yeah. all around here, right? Yeah. Alligators are ambush predators, right? So they lie motionless, camouflaged with their environment, trying to draw in something to devour. Well, Jesus is the ambush predator. And this, this is not to say that Jesus is play acting. He's not play acting, especially in his passion. Like he's really suffering and it's really of a kind that you and I can't fathom. Not simply physically, which is off the chart crucifixion, but spiritually and, and emotionally and mentally because he's like becoming sin, as Paul says. But Jesus is hunting in the passion. He's not hunted and he's not the yeah. victim. Mm -hmm. He's the aggressor. Like, you can't nail God <laughs> to a cross. Like, God doesn't have yeah. kryptonite, right? There's only one way Jesus can get on a cross, only one. He has to want to be there. Now, why in the world would he want to be there? And, and yes, it's to show me the Father's love so that I would never doubt the Father's love. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's to make atonement. But it's also because he's like a Trojan horse. It's another way to think about the passion. The Lord's trying to get the enemy to bite. And I don't think anybody's captured this quite as well as Gibson in the Passion of the Christ right after mm -hmm. Jesus dies. So if you remember in the Passion of the Christ, Jesus dies. And then for like a second, maybe two seconds, you see the figure of Satan in that movie standing on like cracked earth, screaming. And it's not a scream of glee. It's a scream of like, oh, sh nuts. <laughs> like, what the heck just happened? And what just happened is you just lost your grip. 
And, and so we have to think almost like anthropomorphically here. The Lord's trying to get death to devour him. That's actually how St. Ephraim talks about it. Mm-hmm. He, he's trying to get into hell so as to liberate it from inside, to explode it from inside, right? So, and, and the fathers of the church, you know, the patristics, they preached over and over this way about Jesus. You know, yeah. Augustine would use the image of a mousetrap. Mm-hmm. Gregory of Nyssa used the image of a fish hook. Um, Maximus the Confessor uses the image of a hook grabbing a lion. You know, it's like the the Jesus's humanity is the cheese, if you will, and his divinity is the bar, or his humanity is the bait, and his divinity is the hook. Jesus is fishing, or I think it's um, Isidore of Seville says, God the Father is fishing, and he's dangling his son in front of Satan, trying to get Satan mm-hmm. to bite, yeah. and Satan yeah. bites. And the result of that is you go free. That's God. Yeah. You know, so yeah, our our captor is held captive. tricked. Yeah, exactly. And now becomes captive. Yeah, I mean the, the yeah. way the fathers would say it is, you know, it's only right that the one who deceived our race <laughs> at the very beginning yeah. should himself be deceived mm-hmm. into bringing about his own destruction. That's what God is yeah. doing in the passion. Mm-hmm which again is not to minimize his suffering. That's very real. Yeah. But God is doing all that to rescue me. So here's how I think about this. And and so we're sitting here with two young women in this studio as we record this. This is, this is the most powerful way I know how to do this. So the situation in the human race mm-hmm. is as if you and I have been uh, taken by a human trafficker. So outside of abortion, I don't know anything as as horrific in our world right now as human trafficking. There's more slaves right now than anybody or than than any time in history. So imagine you've been trafficked. You've been taken. Nobody knows where you are and nobody's coming for you. And you're now chained. And you're in the hands of a fiend who loves to use you. And this will be your life until he gets tired of you and he kills you. Now imagine it's late at night and you're trying to sleep, but you can't sleep because that means you're vulnerable and you feel a touch on your shoulder. And that's not good because touch means I'm about to get hurt, except you open your eyes and you look up and you see the face of someone unlike anybody you've ever seen in your life. And he smiles at you in such a way that you know immediately, I'm safe. And he stands you up and he begins to untie you. And you look at him and you begin to have at one and the same time a sense of like, oh my gosh, I might get out of here. And a sense of terror. Because you know who's outside the door and what he's done to you. And the man who unties you starts walking you towards the door. And as you cross the threshold, you are filled with, again, exhilaration and terror all at once. And he opens the door and you look down and you see the one who's made your life a living hell, except now he's tied up. And the one who's walking you out the door looks at you and says, you don't have to worry about him anymore. I took care of him. You're free. What would you give to that man? 
Yeah, everything, everything. Who would you possibly trust more than that man? Especially when you come to understand that the one who did that Mm -hmm. isn't a man or he's not a mere man. He's the God who made you. And the way you got out of there was he allowed himself to get tortured to death. Who are you possibly going to trust more than that in life? That's God. And, and at the heart of that and at the heart of the gospel is something this simple. You matter. Like you matter to God. You're worth fighting for to God. You're worth dying for to God. You're worth the trouble of the creator of the universe, which is 90 plus billion light years across. That's 90 billion times 5.88 trillion miles across 522 sextillion miles across that god became a man so as to rescue you wouldn't you just give him everything that's the gospel but then lewis goes on to say so the story of christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed in disguise and he calls us all to embark on a great campaign of sabotage that's the mission and so now Mm -hmm. so imagine you're that person who's been rescued from the human trafficker and you know there's more people back in that house who are getting trafficked wouldn't you go get them especially if you knew that the one who's sending you isn't sending you alone he's with you and it might cost your life because it might cost our lives as Christians but he's sending us to go and to rescue everybody we can because a disciple is someone who's been rescued and rescued people rescue people. So if I know that I'm worth dying for and I matter and I'm worth the trouble and I'm loved and I know that my friends don't know that, that they're living in despair, they're living in anxiety, they're living in fear, they're living in hopelessness, then I'm going to do everything I can to go and let them know you don't have to live that way anymore. And then I'm going to use all the gifts and talents that God gave me, whether I'm a doctor, an engineer, a physician, or, you know, a coach or whatever I am. So as to, to bend back into conformity, that area where I work so that it's in accord with how God created it to be, to, to rest it out of the hands of the enemy, to blow up using Lewis's language Mm -hmm. with the weapons of truth and goodness and love and dignity and integrity and all that kind of stuff to blow up everything that the enemy has defaced. That's the mission of the disciple. I'm in. Yeah, that is a, that's a story uh, right worth believing in a story worth dying for a story. That's really overwhelming and is, you know, ultimately true. Uh, I love the way, uh, you know, uh, Colossians 1.14, uh, which you quote in your online thing, that God forgave. He made us alive with Christ, having given, forgiven us our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, right, all of, all of our sins, nailing it to the cross he disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them triumphing over them in him yeah this in a way is it's right at the heart of the gospel it's at the heart of the new testament received by the church that we've been forgiven um, but the enemy our true enemy in a way has been uh made a public example he's been embarrassed utterly humiliated utterly humiliated because christ has triumphed christ the victor 
uh, and he's won us right over. Uh, so, you know, I think, and, and I, I know as you continue in, in, in the stuff you, you do, you talk a little about, right. You know, we need to both surrender to Jesus. We need to make him Lord. We need to get rid of our idols. We need to recognize the way that he washes us and baptism. He feeds us in the Eucharist. He teaches us how to worship him. Uh, but, you know, people, I really will encourage people to, you know, watch those materials that you pulled together. Uh, but before we finish, I did want to just, you know, tell us a little bit about how did you, you know, you're discovering all this through your preaching, through your own, you know, uh, journey, all these different things. What made you decide to, you know, like make this be your like your uh, almost like your full time work. I don't know if it is your full time work, but to start Acts twenty nine, mobilizing and mission, and to start the rescue project. Yeah, so Acts twenty nine is a, is a nonprofit. So I I created it because I went to the Archbishop of Detroit, where I'm a priest, um, and I asked him. I knew my time as a pastor was coming to an end. We would typically move after twelve years, and so. I just asked him candidly, I said, you know, I know you're going to move me soon. Are you open to me doing something different? And he said, what? And I said, uh, I don't know. I just don't think I'm supposed to be a pastor. I think I'm supposed to do something different in the church. And he said, yeah. So I prayed about it, worked with my spiritual director, and we landed on this. So Acts 29 is, we're, we're a small team. We're nine people. I'm the only priest. We're all laymen and women other than me. And our work is really to equip clergy and lay leaders for the age that God has placed us in. Because, so I'm almost 60. I wasn't trained for this era. Most priests that I know that are my age, we were trained for what we might call a Christendom era, a time when, when the worldview that people had was one that was shaped by the gospel. Well, that's clearly not the case anymore, right? And so the, the challenge now is, how do we live in this time that God has destined us to be in? Because because I'm not a historical accident. Nobody's like, you're alive right now because God has willed you to be alive right now, not another time. Like God could have created you to be alive in eighth century Madagascar, mm-hmm. but he didn't. He created you for now. Like you were born for this moment in history. Joan of Arc's our patroness outside of Our Lady. And, and I don't think there's a greater woman who ever lived outside of Joan uh, beyond Mary to do what she did at the age of 19 is unimaginable, especially at that time in France. And Joan, you know, as she began her mission, someone asked her, aren't you, aren't you terrified? And she says, no, I'm not afraid. God is with me. I was born for this. Well, so was every other person. Like you were born for this moment in history, you know? And, and I think I was born to preach the gospel right now, quite honestly. I think that's what God's called me to do. So the rescue project's one of like four key elements in, in our work in Acts 29. It's not the only one. And it really came out of, I love to teach. It's what I would teach in RCIA for those coming into the church. It's what I would teach in the parish as a whole. But more than anything, it came from uh, the retreats that we do with priests. So that's one of the other main areas yes. that we do mm-hmm. in our work. And we would just preach the gospel to priests, mainly to just give them hope again. You know, because... The, the priesthood is in shambles in the country right now. I mean, there's a number of guys who are thriving, but yeah. trust me, most guys are not. Most guys are surviving. Mm-hmm. 
And they're discouraged, they're frustrated, they're alienated, they're lonely, they're often going sideways. And it, it, it seems like, especially with the metrics, you know, from the, the demographics mm-hmm. of the church, yeah. it looks like everything's going wrong. You know, it's, it's just really important to remember Jesus isn't nervous right now. <laughs> like God's not pulling his hair out going, oh my gosh, like what the heck happened down there? Like Jesus is Lord. So if he's not nervous, I, I shouldn't be nervous which is not to be optimistic, like we might all get martyred, but it is to have confidence. And so we saw priests respond to the gospel and the way that they respond to this. And that led us to go, okay, if if our, it's like my favorite line in the Acts of the Apostles, even some of the priests began to believe, like this is amazing, (laughs) right? So if priests are responding to this, and we do this for a living, and then as we would share this more and more with with either people in the pews or with people who left the church or people who never went to church, the most common comment we got from people was one of two things. It was either, um, why have I never heard this before? Or that's not the God I knew growing up. Mm -hmm. And so again, I think just flowing from that quote that we began with, with John Paul, I just don't think most people have ever been overwhelmed by the gospel, and I want them to be overwhelmed by it. And and I want to, I want to be overwhelmed. I want them to be moved to surrender. But then we add a third thing, which is our formal name in Acts twenty nine. We want to mobilize people for mission, and nobody do we want to mobilize more than young people. So here we are on Ave Maria University, and. You got all these kids awakening to the gifts that God has given them and the talents that they have. And to help them understand God's given you those gifts to go into the world to transform it and to recreate it and to heal it and to continue the work that Jesus began on Easter Sunday of of restoring this good creation back into harmony with the Father's plan, even if it costs you your life, confident that we can't build the city of God. It's a terrible song, right? Mm -hmm. But we can build for it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Confident that when the Lord comes back, he's going to make everything new. But in the meantime, I'm supposed to be working hard to do what I can to continue that. Wow. Well, uh, Father Ricardo, thank you so much for leading us through uh, that understanding of really what is the gospel and how do we go about sharing it today. Uh, for people who might be interested in learning more, are there resources online uh, yeah, to which you would direct Everything we do is free. Oh, so okay. Our whole mission's free. So there's, yes. there's two places to look, or three actually. The Rescue Project is available either at rescueproject.us mm-hmm. There's also available in Spanish. It's dubbed in Spanish. We're translating okay. it into more languages now. I think it's in 20 countries in every state in the country in the U.S. Mm-hmm. here. Um, you can also, if you got an iOS device, you can go to the App Store and you can just Google Acts 20 or search Acts 29 ACTS XXIX, and we have a streaming channel there with a yeah. whole bunch of content. Mm-hmm. Or you can go to our website, which is acts29.org. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much. And and I will say for any uh, listeners who are you know interested, uh, one, uh, you may find uh, we did a podcast earlier uh, towards the beginning of the show on uh, the new evangelization uh, that you may find of interest. And also, I'll just share that you know um, I over the weekend I watched most of the rescue uh, project and uh, what, the nine episodes and. Uh, 
I, I was just, I was overwhelmed. It, it was really beautiful. So I want to thank you so much, Father Ricardo, and uh, so grateful for your work and grateful for your ministry. And thank you for being on the Catholic Theology Show with us today. Grateful for yours. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on the Catholic Theology Show.